welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of directed video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watch Kickboxer 2, The Road Back. Kickboxer 2 The Road Back follows David Sloan, played by Sasha Mitchell, as he deals with the death of his brothers Kurt and Eric and the impending bankruptcy of his gym. Although he wants to stay retired, he takes an exhibition match in the newly formed United Kickboxing Association. That draws the attention of friends of Tong Po, who are eager to get rid of the last Sloan brother. Screenplay by David S. Goyer, directed by Albert Pion, and released on June 14, 1991. Have you seen Kickboxer 2 before? No, not 2. Not 2? I've, I've seen Kickboxer 1. I have not seen any of them. What about I, 3 or 4? No, I have not seen anything <laughs> for, nothing past further one. Kickboxer 1. Yeah, uh, prepping for this movie was the first time I had ever seen Kickboxer 1. I kind of like this one better. Really? Yeah. Uh, I like the first one better. <laughs> I mean, this one isn't as campy and cheesy as the first one. And maybe that's why I like it more. You don't have Jean-Claude Van Damme. Even in the flashback scenes, even in the photos of Kurt and Eric mm-hmm. um, that they show at the beginning and like the painted pictures on the gym, Jean-Claude Van Damme has been replaced by another actor. <laughs> that, that honestly looks nothing like nothing, him. <laughs> yeah, they look nothing alike. Same thing with uh, the person who, who quote-unquote, plays Eric in this one. Nothing nothing like him, really, except dark hair and a mustache. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's really weird to see that he has nothing to do with this movie at all. I think what helps it is, honestly, like the acting is really solid all around in this movie. Yeah, the, the acting was fine. I, I just kind of... The way that... I don't know. The way that it progressed into the last fight, I thought, was weird. Yeah. Definitely some plot holes. <laughs> That's sort of to be expected. But there were problems in the first one, too. Um, I don't know. It, it, I think the first one kind of lost me because there was just... 20 minutes of training montage with nothing else. That, uh, that's my favorite part of it. But there's nothing to break it up. It's just, you know, I don't know, like, throw in a scene of, like, the love story developing. Throw in some other mm. random side plot. You know, uh, it's I just honestly, it. like, 20 minutes of him just training nonstop without any sort of fights or any other, like, I mean, plot progression. That's like, my I'm favorite bored. part. Because... I mean, that just reminds me of, you know, like, Karate Kid, or I don't even know. Like, any fighting... Yeah, but Karate fighting... Kid will, like, split up the wax on, wax off parts with another scene with Johnny. All right. Or with Elizabeth. Like, you, you want to see Tom, Tom Poe doing something. 
Yeah, let's see Tong Po doing something. Let's see. He's Miley just like doing standing something. in a in a basement, kicking a fucking wall until shrapnel falls. I don't right. know. <laughs> let's see Eric's progression as well. You know, like let's see what yeah. what the I forget the military guy's name that leads them, whatever. But we're talking about the first one and like the the problems with the first one. This one I think is is better in that because it, you know you have the training sequences. They're not as intense. It's really just him like doing random movements in the park yeah he's they're doing but, like tai chi and then or being pushed off the y- building yeah. <laughs> and forced to hang on to the rope to climb back up or something but so they're not as intense you don't have him doing the splits like jcvd would be but i don't know at least it was segmented enough so that plot stuff happened and then training plot training and that helped me a bit mm, okay uh, I mean, but in general, yeah, some of the action is until the end is really toned down. It seemed like they were doing everything they possibly could to avoid actually showing impact on camera. Because, you know, you have that first sparring sequence with um, David and Brian, who's like his best student. Yeah, I don't know if he's a student or if he's like a partner in the gym in some form or like, a, you know, like another trainer there. I don't know. Their relationship isn't really established other than that Brian automatically has resentment towards David for holding him back, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I don't know. Why is, why is it David's decision as to whether or not he goes and fights somebody? I don't know. Because um, that's like his gym. I don't know. And he's a student there. Yeah, I don't I know. Don't... Wh- whatever the case is, but... Um, it's just to build up the future steps of things. But when they're doing that sparring, most of that early fighting, the action is like off screen. So you see like the kicks, they go above the frame. So what you're seeing is the leg going up, but you're not seeing the actual hit, mm-hmm. you know, or if they're punching or something, the punching is happening below the visible frame. So you hear the impact through sound effects, but you don't physically see it. It's that type of stuff that happens in this one, whereas opposed to the first one, where it's a lot more evident, it's a lot more fast-paced and in-your-face. And in that regard, the first one is a lot better, especially, you know, early on. Even when they get into the UK A fight with uh, David and Neil Vargas, even that, like, there were shots where the camera was going through the crowd. And so some of the impact shots were hidden because the camera was panning along the crowd and people were like standing up yeah. and blocking the action. So it's like creative ways to avoid it, but it was noticeable. Like they didn't want to show violence. I think it's that they didn't want to. Yeah. They didn't want even, to. Um, but like at the end, I feel like the way that it's just a way Brian, for, like superheroes you know what i mean like how in superhero movies when you're having any sort of fight sequence or really any action movie these days where they shake the camera a whole bunch or they just do a lot of quick cuts yeah or you know just angle the camera a certain way it's so you don't actually have to show the you know the actual punches landing but still get the effects of it that's what they're trying to do is just you know but it it does make it a little bit less effective than something like Bloodsport or Kickboxer 1 where you can actually physically see things happening. Mm-hmm. The only time it really gets to be better is near the end, but 
that's because almost everything is done in slow motion. Like in those last couple fights with like Tong Po and Brian, or Tong yeah. Po and, um, and David, and David, those you do see virtually exclusively close up shots of someone getting punched or kicked in the face. Yeah. And so, but it's all slow motion. So you see like the blood and the sweat splashing off their face and you see the actual physical impact, but it's not done at full speed. So again, you don't get the full impact of it. So in that regard, it's a little bit lessened. In my opinion. Um, but I think they did go a little bit overboard, a little overboard with like some of the blood effects that they used. But I mean, that's '90s movies in a sense. Yeah, like... I, I, just, I think the the one fight with Tong Po and Brian was like to me too much. You mean like too long? Too, too long. Bloody? Well, yeah, long and bloody, and then. I mean, I was just like, how come no one is stopping? Like, this guy is obviously getting the shit kicked out of him. And no one's, like, banging a bell or, like, stopping anything. I guess, yeah. I, under- I, I mean, the, the whole third act is, is kind of um, where the plot falls apart overall. And, yeah. And a lot of uh, things that don't make sense happen. So... To get us to that point, basically Brian goes off on his own. He joins the UKA, the United Kickboxing Association, which David recognizes as a corrupt organization. Brian doesn't care because it's going to help him get his money. Um, and he rises the ranks to become champion of that. He's supposed to fight this other guy, Lou Lascano. And he, that guy is forced to drop out by the corrupt UKA organizer. Um, Sanga. This guy named Sanga. Uh, who's sort of like a silent partner of the, the main person, Justin Micaiah. And um, we'll come back to all those guys later. And so Tong Po is brought out to fight Brian instead, which is all meant to be bait so that David will eventually fight Tong Po. Right. Because everyone knows that Tong Po will kill Brian except for Brian um, and his team. So that's basically what happens is Tong Po fights Brian it goes really poorly for him. They try to stop the fight. I mean, David eventually, tries to stop the fight. yeah, David <laughs> tries to stop it. He's like the only person in this giant crowd. And then, you know, these authorities come and like carrying a, carry him away. And I mean, there's, but after like 50 times, this guy's been punched in the face. Finally, the ref tries to stop it. And that's when Tong Po is like, just throwing the breath out of the ring. Just like anyone that's interfering, Tong Po is like kicking their ass. But yeah. it's like, I don't know. Wouldn't I? They're not in Thailand, and this isn't Thailand rules like in the first movie. So wouldn't they implicate those rules onto Tong Po? Yeah, that, that was one of the thing, questions I wrote. It's like, why isn't he disqualified yet? Because it's not yeah. just a matter of him wailing on him. Because he's using, like, elbows and knees. Like, that's a rule to not use that for right. these fights. And so the ref just says, yeah, illegal knee, illegal elbow, whatever. Yeah, but wouldn't that automatically but, be like, okay, the, you're done? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, what is, how many that's times That's what I had problems warnings? with. The last parts of this movie I had problems with. Because I was like... Yeah. 
he should have been like immediately thrown out and then he should have been like immediately arrested because he kills brian that too and also yeah so like the ref tries to interfere and basically says yeah you're done you're done and tong po picks up the ref and throws him out of the ring yeah but and then he continues to wail on brian and but, no and then, one comes to stop yeah him. i'm like the there's people thousands point, of people not, there do not stop this um which is very very strange as well like um, not even brian's people like the guys in his corner are trying to help and i understand that they don't arrest him immediately because brian doesn't die immediately that happens no. after the fact yeah but, but he is you know incapacitated sort of like eric was at the beginning of the first one but it does not make sense that okay the the intention was that okay now brian is dead um so David is going to avenge him by fighting Tong Po. But in it was two like, hours. yeah, two the two hours. He was like, Tong Po's ready for you in two hours. I was like, what the hell? So why not <laughs> arrest Tong Po? Why not po? like call the police or whatever? Yeah. And say, hey, this guy who just killed someone in the ring is going to be at this place in two hours. Come meet us there. That's that's exactly <laughs> what I was like. I don't like this movie all of a sudden. <laughs> okay. See, I just sort of accepted it as action movie fluff garbage, and I was fine with it. Like, it clearly I doesn't make the, sense. I, I understood but... the storyline in the first movie, because, you know... Because there got... virtually wasn't any. And, well, there's but, things I didn't understand about the first one, though, too. But Jean-Claude, I mean, you know, his brother is just there to fight Tong Po, and he's all like, I can do it. Like, he's all overconfident in himself. And then he gets paralyzed, so then Jean-Claude is like, I need to avenge my brother. Right. And he does. <laughs> That's the moral of that entire movie. Sure. This one, I was just like, what? I understand, like, you know, Tong Po is like embarrassed that he was beaten once in his life and then he kills Jean-Claude's character and the other like his brother Eric which apparently apparently he was <laughs> we show like in the in the beginning of the movie Tong shoots it's actually like Kurt. midway is when we learned this yeah oh okay midway i don't know yeah, just... whenever uh Jean comes in to train Oh, okay. So, oh. yeah, there's a lot of other stuff There's, that like, happens. a, yeah, a flashback scene of just Tong Po coming up to, quote, Kurt, Kurt which is not real. it's not Jean-Claude, but it's supposed to be him, just getting shot in the head, and then Tong Po walking off. Yeah, basically, like, in, the, like, a shipyard, sort of, like, double impact. Yeah. Type of a setting. But... Which is where Jean-Claude Van Damme was while this movie was being made, making double impact and right. stuff yeah. yeah, like he want. I I mean, I just read on like a, because I was trying to see how come Jean Claude didn't want to do this movie, and it was basically because at this point in his career he wanted to do more bigger films like yeah. that were going to be released in theaters. Yeah, you want because this was like going to be like this was going to be a smaller one, for a sure. small one, and then probably straight to video or cable. I mean, it did. Hit I mean, the so. other ones. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, three and four or whatever. But I think he's in the other ones because when I was looking at Jean-Claude's credits. Oh, was he? I, I didn't I think look. he's in the later ones. Okay. Like Kickboxer 5 and 6 or something. So he comes back and plays himself. I don't or, know if he or, plays himself. You know, like, 
Well, I mean, he can't. Well, I mean, flashbacks. Okay. <laughs> or prequels, who knows? Yeah, I don't know how... I mean, I didn't read how, like, the story goes into 3, 4, 5, 6. Like, yeah. I don't know if... I mean, I know uh, Sasha's in he's at in, least the next couple movies. He's like, in 3 and 4, yeah. as well as the supposedly being made kickboxer Algiers. Mm. So depending on when you listen to this and if that movie comes out, there is another movie that's in production called Kickboxer Algiers um, with Sasha, Sasha Mitchell, uh, Albert Pion is directing that um, as well. And uh, who else is going to be in that one? I think I have someone else. Tong Po, is he going to be in there? I mean, that guy's still alive. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't have him listed as being there. Tong Po, played by Michael, Michael Michelle Kesey. I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, actually. Um, he's not Thai. He is Moroccan. Um, he got the part in Kickboxer 1 because they kind of needed somebody at short notice, and they just kind of put makeup on him and, you know... He was big imposing. He was also a friend of Jean-Claude Van Damme's at that point. And so, you know, they just put some random makeup on him, gave him scars, and said, you know, pretend like you're a Thai person. But he's from Morocco. Um, he's, he was also in uh, Bloodsport. He was one of the fighters in Bloodsport. Um, but he was in Kickboxer 1, 2, not 3 or 4, but he was in Kickboxer Vengeance as a cameo. Hmm. So um, maybe they do, like, a flashback because I know Jean-Claude so, is in Yeah, what I read of the Vengeance cameo is basically he's like in prison or something and he walks, you know, one of the Sloans or somebody walks past him and it's like, oh, don't okay. you remember me or something like that? Anyway, we're getting kind of sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, um, but yeah, we see that shot of Kurt getting killed, but all we're told is that Eric is also dead. He was in the wheelchair, obviously, from being paralyzed, but right. we don't see his death. And what I learned is that there's actually a potential alternate version of this movie where, or, or is this something that was cut out of the, the movie, the person who played Kurt actually had a scene and a fight scene with Tong Po that was cut out of the movie. Like, in his wheelchair? No, no, Kurt. The, the oh, Jean-Claude. Jean oh, okay. Oh, okay. But the reason that it shows on IMDb as to why it was cut is that it was... A better fight scene than what you got from David and Tong Po at the end. Oh, so they didn't <laughs> so really... like it was a, it was a more entertaining fight scene, and so they got rid of that. Well, I would I wish I saw that. I <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines is that it was a better fight scene, and that um, than the end. But the, yeah, Tong Po got defeated again, and that was the aftermath of the humiliation was to have him get shot. Mm. So they only showed the aftermath part of it in a very quick uh, flashback type of a scene. So, he did have a part. Uh, Emmanuel Curvin is the person who played Kurt Sloan in this. The only other credit I can find with him is that he wrote and directed the movie Rabid Grannies. So, uh. this and Rabid Grannies is the only thing that the new Kurt Sloan has done. Um, so, obviously, he's not in 3 or 4 Vengeance or whatever. What I also found interesting is that there was no love interest. In I'm movie. fine with that. I'm totally fine with it, too. I hate when they force like a that's that's one that's kind thing of one that thing I, I didn't like about the first one yeah i didn't because the the love interest in that i mean it's fine but you didn't see how their relationship formed because you know at the end they're both like i love you i'm like they literally see each other like 
spend time with each other just because he's training in her uncle's, you know, house or whatever, compound or whatever he has. Yeah, it's and I'm like, how are they falling in love? That's the well, only we don't thing know I didn't. because all we see is training. But I'd rather see training than, like, the, the forced love interests always kind of bother me. <laughs> it's, it's worse like, in, it's just worse show, in uh, Just Bloodsport. show the training. It's worse in the fighting. Though. Right. <laughs> the thing with the reporter in Bloodsport was a lot worse. Yeah, that yeah, I don't like, just don't even show a love interest. Just fight and train. But instead and fight again. I don't know. <laughs> instead, there's only, like, really two female characters in this movie you have brian's mom who's in a couple scenes and she's really just kind of there to, she's there because to see the heartbreak of her her son, son dying demolished in the ring um, played by annie o'donnell she'll be in a couple other 1991 movies as well another you and hot shots um basically just yeah character actor and a lot of her, a lot of her credits are just like woman Lady. so <laughs> she's been in a ton of stuff just nothing unfortunately too notable uh, i thought she was good in this role um what little screen time she had the other female character is joe or i think they call her even janelle at one point as well so i think like joe is short for janelle somehow i thought it would be like josephine i don't or, know but i don't know imdb has the character listed as lisa so, so I don't they were having out. issues with naming this character yeah um, I mean, I thought maybe they wanted to change it to Lisa because the littler kid's name is Joey. Right. Yeah, it, it could cause confusion. Because I, I was confused. Because when, I mean, we didn't even get to this part where David's gym is like set on fire. Because they're going to, they're like, Tong Po's people are like threatening him. They set his jim on fire and then they're coming after david so yeah david has the fight with neil vargas right uh and he kicks him, like yeah. beats him up really easily right vargas it was like a really is the quick UK fight champ and then um david publicly criticizes the uka immediately after the fight and he's like i'm retired in the ring and right. says this is like a drug organization it's garbage i'm retired now right and so Everyone's mad about that because they're trying to throw the whole, whole organization in turmoil, and yeah, yeah the whole yeah thing with he like just Tom needed Bo the money for his gym. Yeah, and he's like, I'm only fighting this one fight for my gym, and you know and these I got guys. What I wanted, and I'm done. Right. And so Neil Vargas and the UKA crew come in and, and um, set the building on fire. Right. The thing is that the gym also houses both David. He lives there. Mm-hmm. As well as, like some of at least some of the kids in the neighborhood who don't really have a place to stay, it's it's yeah, sort of meant to be like kind a of like shelter in a sense, as well as a training center. Right, because he, yeah, he does teach local kids. Yeah, it's mostly mostly a youth free. oriented gym. Yeah, but it's kind of kind of for free, but he's like you gotta you know like in the beginning he's like you gotta pay by you know cleaning the bathrooms or whatever right like clean up around around the place and that's your payment because joey's like a 10 year old kid right you know he doesn't have money right he probably doesn't i mean he doesn't have anywhere to go right like that's the whole intention right. so he probably does maybe he doesn't have parents in this movie i don't know yeah they um, don't or they're elsewhere not able to take care of him in some form 
And so, yeah, his payment for the training is to, yeah, do chores around the building. Right. And he's allowed to stay there. When the fire happens, he's the only one that is present. So, I mean, there may be other people staying there, but it's really just David and Joey who are there at that particular night that we see. David gets shot in the leg and left for dead in the fire, but he's able to get out. Um, but he wasn't able to but save But Joey was Joey. not able to get out. Yeah. And he dies in the fire, we learn off screen. And that's where I got confused, because I thought it was the girl. Because they said Joe really quickly. Um, I was like, oh, the girl? Or the kid? <laughs> but yeah, Joe, the girl, yeah. is... She's also, what, like 12, maybe? 14 at the I most? I don't know. It's like she recruits kids yeah, for him. Yeah, she finds these kids in the neighborhood, and she's also his corner man when he's But she's like a 14-year-old kid, and what is he, like 30? Yeah, something like that. I, I just thought it was like a 20s. weird thing. It was weird, and it wasn't explained as to how she came into that position. It wasn't explained as to like how much she knows, but, I mean, she... She presents herself as a knowledgeable trainer type of a person. Right. It's just a, it was, a weird choice to have weird. that be a, a kid. And it also doesn't really go anywhere. She's just sort of there and present to be a person to bounce off of rather than, you know, the typical grizzled uh, business partner. You have like this 12 year old girl. Yeah. Instead. And <laughs> that's really all it was. Um, but she, yeah, it's like she brings all these kids from the streets, I guess, to his gym. Yeah, and they're all like, oh, you don't look so tough. Yeah, and it's always, I mean, even in, like, the beginning scene, she brings, you know, Brian Austin Green. Yeah, Brian Austin <laughs> That's Green That's his only there. scene. It's Tommy <laughs> basically saying, you don't look like a champion. Um, which is true, Sasha Mitchell does not look like your typical fighting yeah, tough champion. guy. I don't yeah. know. I mean, there are several fighters who are on this cast list. You know, actual kickboxing champions. And yeah, kickboxers. he's no Tong he Po or he's like, like super swole or anything. Right. Although Sasha Mitchell actually was in real life an amateur yeah, he kickboxing was like, champion yeah. and a black, black belt in Taekwondo. But he does kind of have a baby face. So, yeah, like Tommy, um, Joe is basically saying do the rock in the river bit basically, which is um, like a blindfolded it's a blindfolded thing and then you know he gets blindfolded and tells Tommy to take your best shot and he's able to anticipate all of his, his moves right and I think the rock and the river thing is also I, I think they're kind of mixing the, the things because when he's talking to Brian about the sparring he's saying he's trying to throw a rock in my river he's trying to throw a rock in my pond by which is really just another way to say he's trying to get under my skin. He's trying mm-hmm. to cause ripples and, and you know, mm-hmm. aggravate me. So don't let that happen to you if your opponent is trying to do that to you. Mm-hmm. So. But then he lets that happen with Tong Po later. So yeah, Joe, Joe is really just scouring the neighborhood for these kids to bring in and pay. Probably. Right, but it seems like he does it for free. Because it's point, like, all he, these kids from the streets. Probably mostly. Um, but yeah, that when she brings in Joey, she's literally dragging him by the collar. Well, maybe because to, to David, which is she's really kind weird. of like, hey, you're like, you a are little, going to train, right? You, like you're a little asshole shit. kid. Maybe like, We're like uh, place, yeah. David will like shape you up into being a better person or something. Yeah, and Joey's a good character too because he's you know a smart ass little runt with a big mouth and. 
Yeah. Exaggeration. So, I mean, he has just a couple of scenes, but they're good. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see that guy again. Hum- Humberto Ortiz played Joey. He'll be in the 1991 movie Doll Man. Uh, yeah, he's been in some other stuff like Arcade and Three Amigos. He has a role in Three Amigos. Hmm. Uh, he was also in the TV show Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego, the animated. Oh, the animated one. Yeah. And also a show called Marblehead Manor for a, like a season, which I've never heard of. But Joey's dead. Brian, uh, no, I'm sorry. David was shot. They're kind of like generic names, so I kind of get them. Right. Um, David was shot in the leg, and so he wakes up, you know, beaten and shot in the hospital. And they play the sad music. Oh man, the music in this movie. There's only three songs, but they're very. Uh, they are very eighties ballad, like hair battle, like hair hair metal ballad, like yeah. Typical rock ballads by people I've never heard of. Cause they I sound lo- outdated for a 1991 movie. Right, because I think they're just trying to be... Like, I think everyone's always trying to do that you're the best yeah. around song, which no one could do, but it's like... But all of them are like slow, sad ones, right? Like the beginning one, he's like moping because his yeah, brothers Yeah, because it's dead. about his brothers dying. I know, I wrote... So- Suns will set, suns will rise, my brother's eyes. <laughs> like, what does yeah, that what mean? And then what, what was the other one when he, like... To hurt, to, to cry, a, a man, man alone. alone. Cold, like, ice around the heart. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I lo- it's so bad, but it's, I like it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fun cheesiness, but it's not upbeat at all. He wakes up in the, the hospital, and um, David's business manager is Jack. Jack, the business manager, the one who's basically saying, you're out of money, man. Like, like do this. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that guy just, like, he's comes and goes. He's there to manage goes. the business. Yeah, he's, yeah he's but there he to, just, like, like comes and goes. He does come and go. He's there to, like, sort of root him on in that one random shot. <laughs> he, he just come. yeah. He, the only time he was helpful was at the very end. Yeah. Right. So I mean, he's he's there to provide context. Yeah. Um. But Jack also is there to bring Jan back from Thailand or to, to like, train to train him. But why? Why would? Why does he need to be trained? I I, I don't know. That's this is why <laughs> this is why I like the first movie better than the sec- this one. Because I'm like, why? Bring, why did you bring Zhang from Thailand like, to L.A.? Zhang was like so... It's like he's not anticipating and fighting. And train him even though David's like outright refusing. He's like, yeah. I don't want to do this. That's why I'm like, and why... Zhang is so like pushy about it too. He's like a It's like, no, asshole. you're going to train. It's and like, then he literally... make me, leave then fucking make me. Yeah, and then he's making him get on his, like, broken-ass leg and, like, walk after, like, one day of Uh being in bed. Mind over matter. That's the the moral of a lot of these stories. Um, So, yeah, that didn't make a whole lot of sense other than what we kind of learn at the end is that uh, Zhang was also manipulated by Sangha. All I know is that he said, you know, when they're sitting in that diner, you know, while they're waiting for the two hours to pass, he was right. talking about, he was talking about how, um, 
he was manipulated as well, and maybe he had some revenge motivation as well because he knew that Tong Po was going to be coming over Well, and then I think... The Sloan is the only one who could possibly beat him. Yeah. So... And then later on, he says that Tong Po um, murdered his niece. Yeah, Wiley's also apparently dead. Yeah, she's... Everyone's dead that's, like, been involved with these Sloan brothers. Uh Uh-huh. Except for Zhang. Like, how come he didn't... Tong Po didn't threaten him? No. And then what happened to his dog Kiki? That was yeah, we don't know my what Kiki did not make the trip thoughts. to LA. <laughs> I will say that they uh, they made Jan's hair less gray in this movie than they did in the first one. They put a lot of artificial graying in Kickboxer One, and they I think it's just hair. trying to that was trying to he was trying to be like they're trying to do another Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Oh yeah, but they just went overboard with the hair and makeup, right? And they toned it down here again. But he's there. And he's like there for like somewhat comic relief. He's definitely there to be more jokey. He this is again yeah. He's sort like, of like cracking Mr. jokes about like going to Disneyland and whatever. And talking about the beautiful women on the beach and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, a lot of quips and his little stories and everything that he does. He's not a bad character. But yeah. He does seem derivative of Miyagi. Um, but he did in the first one too so he's just sort of carrying over that type of mentality so I mean at some point David I guess acquiesces and says sure you're going to train me I don't don't think he ever intends to fight anybody but at least you know get him back in shape yeah I guess just to be in shape because he's not not, he's not training for a fight because he doesn't want to fight no that's why I was like why are they doing these like so called training fight scenes just for the movie's sake, yeah. I guess. Yeah, get him back into shape so he can do whatever. I don't oh, know. Oh, or just go back to teaching at, yeah. like, teaching kickboxing at a gym somewhere. Probably. So, I don't know. Doctors can also help you out with that stuff. Right. Like, he, he needs to <laughs> heal first. <laughs> you think so. Um, but, yeah, everyone gets into it. Uh, they train in the park, and so like all the homeless people in the park also like are starting to train. Right. I thought yeah. that might become a thing at some point. It did not. But no. Um, meanwhile, Brian is training in his evil person gym, <laughs> right, where everyone is wearing black. The lighting is very it's moody like it, and dark. Everyone and is ominous. like, yeah. Every and then they're shooting him with steroids. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. They're shooting up, shooting him up with steroids. He's <laughs> <And> like. <laughs> Jesus, what a rush. I know, that was so stupid. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, they're just kind he's of just like... Completely over, he's being like completely 24, He's like 24-7 just like either doing like some sort of arm workout or leg workout. Yeah. On these machines. And they give him the steroids and, and they're like, to, like conti- keep doing it. That the, those are steroids. his... That's his training is like... Just someone yelling at him. Yeah, just getting yelled at, saying, keep going. Mm-hmm. And then here's more steroids. Keep going. So it's up to you as to which one is a better path, getting overworked and overburdened by a trainer who's pushing you with steroids or being like kicked and punched and pushed off a building by somebody who doesn't care that you have a leg that was just like a, you get Like a shattered bone, yeah. probably, <laughs> that like needs to heal. Like kicks your crutches out from underneath you and says, get the fuck up. Yeah, right. we haven't even really talked about we talked about Sangha, but we haven't talked about Micaiah. 
uh, yeah. who is the the other person involved in this. He's the the public face of the UKA. Uh, Justin Micaiah, played by Peter Boyle, in this. Uh, again, good acting all around. Um, he's he's good at being a subdued villain. Yeah. He's he's definitely the okay, and we learned this near the end as well that he's really more the financial type of a villain. He doesn't really want to try to actively harm people yeah, cause just for the sake of harming when them or for revenge. Brian's getting the shit kicked out of him. Although he may have been he's behind like the s- arson at the gym. Yeah. But we don't fully know that for sure. But it could have been Sangha. He's like surprised and doesn't want to be involved with Sangha anymore after like Tong Po kicking Brian's ass. Yeah, he knew nothing about the Tong Po uh, switcheroo right. that was pulled at the last yeah. minute. He didn't agree to it, uh, except for Sangha says, make the ref do this announcement that is against the UKA regulations. You know, you're not supposed to like switch fighters the last second, whatever. It's against protocol or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do this or I'm pulling your funding. And yeah. so he's like, okay make the announcement i have to yeah. i have to keep my money but he's horrified about the whole thing in at at the end but i don't think he ever actually actively does anything about it like he's not helping turn the tables when the guns come out or anything so no yeah he's just you know that's just meant to give he's him not, a little bit of a yeah, character. He just wants of, money. Oh, he's like, oh, oops, this, I was duped too. Right? Oh, they're they're getting violent. I wasn't a part of this. Yeah. So he's there to really convince Brian to join the UKA, which is a pretty easy thing to do. Since Brian wasn't very happy at the the no money gym that he was at before, uh, and then he becomes a puppet for Sangha. Sangha also recruits some random thug guy. Which, I don't know what the heck his point was in the whole movie. You know, the one who's basically, like, tailing David around. The Thai... The Thai thug. The Thai thug, yeah. That's his character name. He's, you know, in a suit. He's, like, in the car. He's, like, following him around. Mm-hmm. He's just there at certain just scenes. But like, like, what does he extra actually... muscle? Yeah. Uh-huh. What does he actually do? Uh, it, it wasn't he one of the dudes that wants to carry David out of the uh, ring when he's trying to save Brian? Was uh, that him? I don't know. That might have just been security people. Oh, okay. But I think he does pull a gun at the end along with Sangha. I can't. I don't remember, remember anymore. anymore. But I mean, he. It made it sound like he was supposed to be there to help convince David to fight Tong Po. But he doesn't ever actually interact with them. He doesn't ever have any dialogue. He's just sort of there to be an imposing figure mm-hmm. in certain scenes. And it's just, it's weird that they introduce him and spend so much time um, with somebody who doesn't do anything. So there's, yeah, there are a lot of... A lot of it's not a perfect movie. <laughs> it's definitely not a perfect movie. Um... I will say that, I don't know, again, the fighting, I, I think that the first one had some impact, but it still kind of looked cartoony at times, because you have, like, you know, people who were doing, like, the rapid punching bag type of effects, where they're punching them, like, 30, 40 yeah, times yeah, in a row yeah. on a face or stomach, and they're just sort of sitting there taking it. That was cartoony. 
this one just the action kind of looked fake and anemic at most times until the end when it really got to be kind of violent and brutal um but yeah it doesn't make sense that they did not try to arrest tong po or bring the cops in because it was just at that same arena yeah and then it's like and now they're just doing the muay thai thing where they did in the first one where they the ancient uh, wrap way. their fists in bandages and then resin and then glass. broken glass uh and then so expect a lot of blood in that last fight there too and then they set up say we're gonna videotape this for people back home uh, I, is, <laughs> I had so problems with this whole thing <laughs> look tong po has gotten his revenge he's retained his he's regained his prestige yeah because the because these the american is, men came to thailand and beat him once the sloan brother is down right it, it does it is a little weird that tong po really wants this vengeance against a sloan brother that we didn't know existed in the first movie they never right. mentioned him in the first place never had a fight against him and tong po got his revenge by shooting the brothers dead apparently yeah, right? so but like, then if he really wanted it in the ring. Then he. How did he know them. that David exists? Like from Sangha saying, "Hey, there's a third brother." Probably. You gotta come kick his ass too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's so stupid. I don't know. It is a little weird that they try so hard to directly tie the two movies together yeah. in this way. Um, what's also really weird is that. Okay, so Tang Po is kicking the shit out of David to start, right. because that's how it always has to go. And so he's really bloody, his eyes like swollen shut at a certain point, he has blurry vision. And I thought it was an interesting, if not somewhat predictable effect, that when he couldn't really see Tang Po anymore, he was, um, you know, the camera's out of focus, we're seeing it from his point of view. Right. Uh, but you're starting to hear like tiger noises like lion noises instead that's of what i was like stuff. was tong making those noises because it literally sounds like an animal i think it's just meant to be yeah just like, like when in the first movie they showed the hawk or whatever <laughs> whenever so whenever jean claude did something so there was like a hawk turning its head and right. like i don't know i thought that was funny though it's funny but it's, then, yeah it's like dumb so um, the tiger noises when Tong Po does like a hit, it was like roar. I was yeah. like, is he making that roar sound? Not physically, no. It's just meant to be that. Yeah, this guy's a beast. Yeah. Um. So you, we bring back the blind stuff from the beginning of the movie, where he's you know basically yeah, closes like his eyes and he's back. like giving your best shot, and like my other side, my other senses are now heightened because I close my eyes. As if but that's a real that's, thing. I was thinking, like, why didn't he do that in the first place? Because that's been his thing right. all along. Because, you know... Like, he le- forgot? Try it legit, and if it doesn't work. Um, oh. But either way, what I don't understand fully is that when David is, like, down on the ground and, like, you know, really at his worst, why is Tong Po just letting him get up and, you know... Like, this is supposed to be a fight that literally has no rules. They've said yeah, it has yeah. no rules. But when he was fighting Brian, he was, like, throwing refs out of the ring, and he was just wailing on this guy who was down on the ground trying to get up. But now in this fight with no rules against the yeah, person he's who's like trying taunting. to get revenge... He's taunting... Tong- it's like, oh, is- I knocked him down. I better back up. Yeah, Tong is, like, taunting him. He's like, you're you're worse than your two brothers. But he yeah. still could have been and, saying like- that while pummeling him further. 
like getting in his head because he starts saying like you you're the worst fighter. Yeah, but why not say that while actively punching and kicking him while he's on the ground? In agreement with you, but I don't know why. If the intention is really just to kill David, which I think it is, why not just go for it? Like he did with Brian. But he doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Like he did with Brian in the match with rules. So David's able to get up and, of course, get his, you know, shit together and. Yeah, but Tong Po Po is like hesitating while David is like going through his head like, oh, I could do this blindfold thing. So then that's when David kind of puts his face in front of Tong's face and he's like, go ahead, take your shot. And that's Mm -hmm. when he starts, you know, maneuvering around with his eyes closed. Right. And then kicking his ass. he's able to get back up. I'm, I'm just saying, if this was legitimate... In a match with no rules, it never would have gotten to that spot, David. Yeah, because, I mean, Tong would have just continuously been hitting him. Definitely. So, David wins. Um, even though Tong Po really doesn't look all that bad compared to David, he just happens to get sort of, like, knocked out a little bit. Uh, but David wins, and then people draw guns. And they have to use their kickboxing knowledge to get the guns out of their hands, whatever. Like, Sangha, like, jumps up in the ring and has a gun, and David kicks it out of his hand. And uh, Jack, the business manager, takes it from the thug, I think. Yeah. Like, they kind of coordinate their efforts and do it at the same time. Maybe Zhang does something as well. I kind of don't remember anymore. It's all very fast. Uh, and then Sangha gets a few... Uh, kicks and punches to his body yeah. as well from David afterwards. And then all's good in the world. <laughs> End of movie. Well, no, because after that fight, David is trying to teach Zahn how to drive a car. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> You forgot that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and then I mean, like, I didn't. Basically, like, crash into the gym. Yeah, and he's like, like I mean this is in the middle of LA and there's no other traffic around and he's like obviously going over lines and crossing lanes all crazily yeah he crashed yeah Zan drives his car into like the gym like the gym is like there's like a bunch of trash cans in front of the gym but like the gym is all still like like, burnt down or something right yeah, the gym's then, still boarded up. Yeah, 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 but I'm like, where, why, why, why are they going there? Because then all the neighborhood kids are all around the gym, and then they all get ice cream in the end. Yeah, <laughs> I think the intention is that they're going to rebuild the gym, but they don't say how or with what money. Right, like, did they like get money any... from this? Off yeah, the books fight. Yeah, I was like, where, so. <laughs> where, what money does he have now? I, I'll be honest, this movie made me more interested in watching Kickboxer Three. I'll, I'll just, I would continue this series. I'll just read the Wikipedia <laughs> plot for the next few. Right. And that's how I'll get my information. <laughs> no, I gotta see the hard in action. Alright. Uh, <laughs> um, cast and crew that we haven't talked about really quickly here. Uh, Albert Pyun, Saturn nominated for The Sword and the Sorcerer. That was his first feature. He was nominated for the writing of that, but he also directed it. Uh, that launched his career. He was able to do other things like Radioactive Dreams, um, both the Nemesis and the Cyborg series of movies. So we worked with Jean-Claude on Cyborg. 
He did the Captain America movie that was made in 1990 that I don't think anybody remembers was a thing, but it is, you know, based off of the the Marvel property with Steve Rogers and Red Skull. Um, he also directed Kickboxer 4, did not direct 3. And as I mentioned, he was going to be doing the Kickboxer Algiers movie that is coming up. Uh, in 1991, he also did Blood Match and Doll Man. So you're going to see a lot of people on this cast list who are going to be in some of those same movies. He tends to work with the same people. David S. Goyer, Saturn nominee for Dark City, win for Batman Begins, uh, Fangoria Chainsaw Award winner for um, for DC, which I'm not... Oh, Dark City. Sorry, I abbreviated my notes. <laughs> winner for Dark City and nominated for Blade 2. He also has a Razzie nominee. I'm sorry, a Razzie win. Hmm. He's a Razzie winner for Batman versus Superman. So he's he's all up in the DC world. He's you know he wrote the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, um, and he does a lot of other current DC stuff. Uh, he's also worked on things like the Constantine TV series. Uh, he's done the new Godzilla movie, um, the 2009 version of The Unborn. Uh, he did Terminator Dark Fate. The Foundation TV series that just came out and the Sandman TV series is coming out very soon as well, are all him. Uh, this was his second script overall. The first one was Death Warrant, which was another Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Sasha Mitchell as David Sloan, uh, best known to us for Step by Step. Cody Lambert, which he was on for between 1991 and 1998. He was also in Dallas from 89 to 91. Uh, he was in Kickboxer 2, 3, 4, and Algiers. Uh, he got one of his big breakout roles with Spike of Bensonhurst, where he played a, I think, a boxing champion. Um, and as we mentioned, he was a fighter as well before this. Um, so yeah, he was out of acting for quite a while, and now he's, he's back into it. Peter Boyle is Justin Micaiah. He is an Emmy winner, but not for Everybody Loves Raymond. It's for an X-Files guest spot. Hmm. Uh, he did not win in any Emmys <laughs> for... He was nominated seven times for Everybody Loves Raymond, wow. but he was the only major cast member to not win an Emmy for that show. He was nominated for Tail Gunner Joe in 1977, for Midnight Caller in 1988. Um, he's also in such movies as The Candidate, Joe, Young Frankenstein, of course, and Taxi Driver, um, Red Heat, Monster's Ball, and then he also played Father Time in Santa Claus movies. Uh, Dennis Chan we've seen before. Fight Back to School, he played Mr. Chang. Uh, he's also in a couple other movies in 1991. Bamboo and Winter, Queen of the Underworld, and The Perfect Match, which is not on our list. None of those are on our list. So if, if any of them become watchable, then we can add them in. He does appear in Kickboxer 3 as well, uh, but he does a lot of movies in Hong Kong like God of Gamblers, Police Story 2, Casino Tycoon 2, Mermaid Got Married, to just to name a few. Uh, Kerry Hiroyuki, Hiroyuki Tagawa played Sangha, uh, probably best known to us as Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat. Uh, he also had a recurring role in the Man in the High Castle TV series, and we'll see him a couple other times. He's in one, two, three, four more 1991 movies. I won't list them all here. Um, as I mentioned, quite a few of these people are former fighters as well john deal who played jack the business manager was one of them he was a boxer for a very short time he went like six and one before he retired in 1986 
Uh, he's going to be in several other 1991 movies as well, uh, but he's probably best known for his role in Miami Vice. Um, Heather McComb as Joe, Janelle, Lisa, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> she was a young artist nominated actor for Stay Tuned, uh, which I wish was a 1991 movie, but it's 1992. Mm. He, she was on the Outsiders TV show. She was also in Beethoven's Second. Uh, had roles on the TV show's Profiler and Party of Five. Um, Brian Wagner... She, uh, she was also married to James Vanderbeek. She was, yeah, the first <laughs> wife of James Vanderbeek. <laughs> Uh, Brian Wagner, uh, played by Vince Murdocco, he was also a kickboxing cruiserweight champion. Uh, that's probably why he got the role. Uh, he, he started he, off... Yeah, I mean, he looks more like Jean-Claude Van Damme than the guy that they used to play Kurt. And he might have a slight accent. Is, yeah, is that's point. what I was like. He could have been the Jean-Claude role. I know that they wanted to use him to for a bigger role like Brian, but yeah. he could have easily been the Jean-Claude replacement. Oh yeah, for sure he could have. But, you know, Sasha Mitchell is a better actor overall. Uh-huh. Um, he got it started as uh, Flesh Gordon in Flesh Gordon Meets the Cosmic Cheerleaders, the soft porn, soft porn parody of Flash Gordon. Uh, he's also going to be in the 1991 movie Ring of Fire, and he was also in that sequel. Otherwise, he's been in, you know, like, direct-to-video type of stuff like Night Hunter and Sworn to Justice. Things like that is what he thrives in. Uh, a couple more people. We got uh, Matthias Hughes, who played Neil Vargas, the first major fight in this movie. He's going to be in the 1991 movies Star Trek VI and Diplomatic Immunity. He was also in a bunch of other, like, you know, direct-to-video type stuff like Digital Man, Cyber Vengeance, Lone Tiger, Talons of the Eagle. Uh, and, of course, he's also a former kickboxer, a black belt in Taekwondo, and he also owned gyms in Germany before moving to America for an acting career. And then we also have Brian Austin Green as Tommy. We all know him, 90210. Uh, Fantastic Four TV series, which is odd to see. Um, and he's also a three-time nominee for the Young Artist Award for a bunch of other stuff, 90210, and then also the Adventures in Babysitting TV pilot. He was nominated for that, even though it never mm-hmm. got picked up or probably, ex, you know, shown anywhere. No awards. What a surprise. So uh, we can go ahead and move on to true crime and pop culture. Yeah, so I, okay, I looked up a blog because I wanted to know did ancient Muay Thai fires cover their gloves with broken glass like was that was that ancient style was that the ancient style real yeah it wasn't I'm not surprised (laughs) well because I was like did they really kill each other or fight each other with glass on the gloves because I was like that's insane but I don't know they could have done that like you know in the 15th century i have no idea sure. but so i found this like um yeah if gladiator arenas were real then maybe yeah i, I found this like muay thai blog and it it was someone who asked the question did this ancient way actually exist and this guy which i'll, I'll give you the we'll have the link on the website yeah i'll give you the link and then it also shows pictures so he said that um 
The old-time fighters' gloves were made of soft, raw hemp, which were bound into special ways to create knots. And the way in which the fists and the arms were covered, they differed in each um, region. So the Northeast style, your gloves were bound from your fists all, to, all the way to your elbows. And the North Central style is your gloves were bound from your fist to your mid-arm. And then the so Southern style is just the fist only. Okay. And then they, I'll show you the pictures because the pictures show like they knot them in different ways and then they stick their knotted hands into like water and let that dry. Okay. So it becomes, so it becomes sharp a sharp. Yeah. yeah. So when the, the fighter, so it feels as if you're getting cut. Okay. So maybe that's how the glass thing just got, you know, overemphasized in these movies. Yeah. So that's how um, the ancient... I mean, I don't know if they still do it now. This is like a blog that I read from 2006. <laughs> but it just said, yeah, the, the fighters' hemp gloves were considered an important asset. And it, it also contained the blood and skin of their opponents. And upon finishing, they would just take the hemp off and store them in like a clean dry f place and then use that same hemp for their next fight mm. so i had like the dried blood and stuff from their previous fights gotcha and then moving on sasha mitchell's Meets, legal issues yeah, his, legal issues his allegations and this is going to be like a trigger warning for domestic violence. Like a couple articles and it, I don't know like how it began, but I mean, starting, this is from the LA Times and then also the Buffalo News, like Buffalo, New York. This happened between 95 and 96. And then it's also like, uh, okay, this also, I mean, I remember this because I used to watch Step by Step. Yeah growing up and so like I remember sort of seeing this in the news and I was like no Cody's a bad guy yeah me too I <laughs> and I was that. like I don't like Cody anymore I, I remember having those exact type, type of feelings absolutely and, and then he was eventually written off the show because of this yeah he was fired from step by step but not, I don't, not for the legal accusations for breaking probation is the official yeah reason. yeah that's that's what are in these two um Articles, but he did make like a guest spot. I I don't think I watched step by step all the way to the end, but I guess he made like one guest spot in the very last season for something. I think something. so because he's listed as a being part of a 1998 episode. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so in this is an article from the LA Times. This is in 1995. So Sasha Mitchell, who's a West Lake actor and kickboxer stars in the television sitcom Step by Step pled guilty by assaulting his wife and endangering his young stepdaughter. He was charged with three misdemeanor counts since late April of 95. This is in June, and I guess this is when his um, trial started. 
He was arrested April 21st at his home after the sheriff's department received a 911 call from his mother-in-law who said he was assaulting his wife, Jeanette Mitchell. And prosecutors say that Jeanette was sitting on the couple's bed with her seven-year-old daughter when her husband slapped and kicked her. The woman fled to a bathroom and locked the door, but Mitchell kicked a hole in the door and came after her. He, this is from the prosecutor. He whacked her upside the head, kicked her in the hip, and put a hole in their bathroom door. Prosecutors charged Mitchell with two counts of battery, one count of spousal abuse, and one count of child endangerment. And it says that he could face as much as a year in jail if convicted of these misdemeanor charges. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I mean, I don't know. Misdemeanor? Seems, seems low. Yeah, seems low for all that. After his arrest, Mitchell was booked in the Ventura County Jail, but released immediately on bail. His wife was badly bruised, but did not seek medical treatment, and that was used in the trial. Because she did not get medical treatment, like Sasha Sasha Mitchell did not go to jail at, at that time. Okay. So then the next article from the Buffalo News, this is in 96, Um, the judge ordered Mitchell in September, he was given three years probation and ordered to perform community service and attend counseling counseling classes for spouse, spouse abusers. He spent 30 days in jail after failing to comply, but he was allowed to leave during the day to go work on step-by-step. But, like, this was during um, the time where, I guess, the TV show was finished production for the season, so he had to spend more time in jail, but he he didn't go. And then I also saw... Like, I don't know, this was later on in the year. I saw, like, a small little blurb, like, in the early 2000s, saying that he later states in his court, like, during his domestic violence charges resulting from the attempts at protecting his children from their physically abusive mother, whom he accused of being a drug user, Sasha states that he was able to obtain full custody of their four children and their mother only receives limited supervised visitation five times a year. I saw that too. Yeah. And then that was it. That's all the information I saw. I don't... I mean, his kids are like 25 or whatever now. But... Probably, yeah. Yeah, from what I saw is he claimed that the reason it happened was that he was merely intervening when the mom was trying to do things to the do kids. Do things to the kids. But it sounds yeah. as if he was endangering the kids too. I I don't know. I don't know the full story. Right. Uh, it's just... I, but yeah, it's a little weird. Is, yeah, I mean, if he has full custody of the kids and the ex-wife isn't allowed to visit without supervision, then that says something at least, right? Yeah. So then I'm just going to move on to music. Like, the TV for this time, June 14th, was, you know, it was summertime. So there was a lot of reruns. There wasn't anything good on, I guess. It was, yeah, it was reruns. And there was nothing that I saw, like, that 
really famous happen in the news on this day. Nothing historical. Okay. The only thing that I found that was considered historical was that Robin Hood Prince of Thieves opened the same day. So um, obviously it was number one in the box yeah. office. This, well, I this, mean, this is number 166 on our list. <laughs> <laughs> it got like 444,000 opening weekend. So. Everyone was seeing Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, I'm I'm going to talk about the the bottom songs cuz obviously we're going to start seeing everything I do. I do it for you. <laughs> number 100 is the c- song Feel the Groove by Cartouche, which I'm going to give you these. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you these um videos so or the links to put on our website. Uh, number 99 is New Jack Hustler Nino's theme from New Jack City by Ice-T. Huh, okay. That was eight weeks on the charts. So, I mean, yeah, the movie came out in April, so it had two months of being on the charts, I guess. Yeah. it's It was at number 86 before. Number 98 was Aisha by Another Bad Creation. And number 97, I didn't look this video up. I usually do. I don't know. I feel like I always say that. (laughs) I don't. Uh, Love Gets Rough by Troy Newman. This is the first time it's on the charts. Uh, We'll we'll have the video. Is it its chart debut? It's its chart debut. And it also might be the highest it's ever charted. Maybe. Yeah. Number 96... This group is, I mean, I already spoke to you about this group, is like everything to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's the party's summer vacation. (laughs) At number 96, that was its first date, that's the debut on the charts at number 96. The party, that was a Disney channel. It's a Disney channel created group. From the early, yeah, boys and girls from the early day, well, the new Disney Channel, and then that was like... That was still a paid channel. Right, and I had the Disney Channel somehow, I don't even know, like for some reason, I guess we had all the cable stations, and yeah, I was obsessed with the Disney Channel, and obsessed with the Mickey Mouse Club, and of course obsessed with the party (laughs) and still is obsessed with the party because then uh they just did like a 30th anniversary tour like maybe six months ago in i think it was in boston or something okay and i didn't know about it until like a month ago (laughs) and i wish i went and then also one of the uh the group members, Tiffany, she recently died earlier this year. And yeah. she was like 43 or 44. I mean, these are all... At this time, they were like 15, 16, 17 yeah. in this group. Man, barely older than us. Right. But yeah, the party, summer vacation. Well, that's good. They get to make their podcast debut with us here. Yes. <laughs> I was excited to see that. <laughs> the rankings and ratings... On your one to five star scale, where would you put Kickboxer to the road back? I'm gonna give this a two. Two is fair. Two is fair. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I like this one slightly better than Kickboxer 1. And honestly, I do think it's mostly because of the acting. Jean-Claude Van Damme is, like, a nice, goofy person. And, like, you know, you have the dance scene and whatever. From the yeah, first right. movie. that's it's, all fun. and It's all, like, wacky, good. goofy fun. This yeah. takes itself a little bit more seriously. And I thought, I don't know, Sasha Mitchell's performance is, you know, more nuanced. And, and he carried the movie pretty well. Um, I'm giving it a two and a half. Okay. Two and a half stars on my zero to four star scale. Every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Uh, probably not, no. I'll watch the first one and only that. I don't even, <laughs> I don't know if I want to progress into any of the other ones. I, I would, I would watch them both again. I would watch them both again. Um, yeah, it's, it's just simple, mindless action movies. I understand yeah. the appeal. I understand the appeal of the genre. I think they're both worth a viewing and, you know, there's nothing that's, that aggravating plot-wise that would turn me off from watching it again. So, mm. you know, yes, I would. Uh, and if you out there want to watch Kickboxer 2 The Road Back as of this recording in February 2022, it's available on Tubi, Vudu, Plex, Roku Channel, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. You'll get to see all the other kickboxing movies that we have not yet covered that will be on the podcast at some point. Yeah, we're There's like five like a, more. A whole month of kickboxing movies. There are five more kickboxing movies to cover. Next week, however, we will be watching La Belle Noiseuse. The Beautiful Troublemaker. I hope I pronounced that right. It's available on Canopy, Tubi, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then.